Welcome back, Jack. How y'all been? It's Yin. Today, I'm going to teach y'all how to improve your writing, specifically about villains. Now, this is a topic I've been waiting to talk about for quite some time. And here's why. Because, first of all, I'm a big, big fan of a good villain. Okay? I love great villains. A great villain by themselves will carry the whole story if, if your story is already bad. That's bad, by the way. But decent stories, a good, a great, a great villain will make your story captivating. Okay? Your audience will never forget something you made because you made a story about a character people care for. And even though you don't want a whole story to be carried by one single character, having a compelling villain still helps. The villain to your story is like glue to an arts and crafts project. It really pulls your story together. That's why it's incredibly important that you understand that your story is about someone they care about. A great villain is going to be a pillar within your story's universe. A great villain is a character that will make people come back again and again and again. Your hero is only as good as your villain. If your hero is over the top, can do no wrong, and pretty much is invincible, that's just a big yawn. And if your villain is garbage or junk, then you really have a comedy at best, a satire or some sort of parody. Because most people want to be hyped up. They want a villain, and that's the truth. So today, I'm going to teach you 11 ways to make a great villain. Okay, 11 things that will change how you write a good villain. Number one, a quickly understood concept. The concept of your villain has to be quick to pick up and understand. It has to be something people can be hyped by right away. Obviously, they have to have the same level of uniqueness about them. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you really need to have that elevator pitch established in your mind. It must be conscious and at the forefront of their creation. If you already get in an elevator with me, you should be able to explain it in a few words as possible. Here's an example. It's Frankenstein meets Robocop. You see that? Short and straight to the point. Obviously, that won't be what you'll say in the story, but you get the idea. It's a quick way to recall the villain core concept very easily in your mind in order to recall the villain in your mind easily when writing, when going through long periods of time, writing other aspects of your book. Of course, a mashup isn't the only way to describe something there are many other approaches to it. The most important thing to remember is that you are conveying the concept immediately. This way, I, the customer, quickly pick up what you're putting down. I understand it, I internalize it, and I decide if I like it or not right away. 
boom, done. People make their choices, and those choices are outside of your power. But you can certainly improve your odds of them liking your concept with appropriate communication. Brevity is the soul of wit, as the saying goes. Number two, clear and logical motivation. Speaking of elevator pitches, the motivation of the character has to be clear, and it has to make sense within the context of the story. A person's motivations and what they're doing in the story should be easily explained in an elevator pitch. Again, you must quickly and decisively describe what this person is very early on. Unless you're doing some kind of bait-and-switch villain, the villain's motivations have to be straightforward. When their motivations are unclear and murky, that really harms your story. You ever notice that in some movies with bad stories, they tend to have a villain with whose concepts and ideologies and motivations and drives are just a mystery and they tend to be boring? Well, this tends to be some sort of Dark Lord archetype, I noticed. As a result, the bad movie always requires another villain in the forefront. You know, someone with charisma and personality and a worldview that's very straightforward and captivating. It often leaves me wondering why even have the boring, mysterious guy above him in the first place. Number three, they must have appealing personality. Speaking of personality, your villain needs to have that appealing personality. Again, as I said in previous podcasts, this is going back to marketing and sales. You need to have that person's look on point, straightforward and easily digestible. For example, if your villain is a clown, he has to have that universal look that most people recognize. His humor or his visual look might be what appeals to readers. The most liberating part about this phase is the range of mood you can invoke in your readers from the villain's ambiance. The sky is the limit here. This is where you can really go wild with your imagination. Maybe he appeals to people who are depressed. Maybe he appeals to doomers or some other group that you're targeting. Now, obviously, that appeal might not be there for all demographics, and that's okay. By making something visually appealing for a certain group, you are sure to expand based on authenticity. More on that later. The important part is that you are creating an idea that is personified. Perhaps there is a dichotomy between how that villain looks and how they see the world that is the appeal. So maybe their ideology is, for example, everyone should be equal and have the same amount of money. But their look is that (laughs) they're a businessman and a cutthroat corporate type, you know, the king of capitalism even, perhaps. Maybe... Maybe he had his hands dirty with deals that he had done did in other countries as a war profiteer. That's a dichotomy that's appealing to people. They like that juxtaposition of someone who does one thing and says another. Remember, this person is a villain, not a protagonist, right? Villains can be hypocrites. It's a very negative trait that creates multi-dimensional facets of the character to the reader, which will help 
make the character feel real to your readers. Number four, give them a captivating presence. Have you ever met someone with a presence about them? Someone who, by the way they walked and talked, the way they held themselves, drew people in. It's a mysterious energy that you can't quite put your finger on. The villain look should have that energy and vibe. Okay? When they come into the room, they should command presence just by being there. They should easily be able to steal the show. That doesn't mean the person has to outshine the protagonist or supporting cast by making them lesser than the, 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 the villain. No, 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 no. Incorrect, okay? Wrong. The characters should be as compelling as possible, but the villain should be all the more, okay? Even more than that. And that in itself is a flex with the audience. You got to flex that this guy or girl is that crazy. You're saying that this person is so charismatic that they are on par and could possibly outshine the main characters. Number five, make their mundane moments interesting. Here's a great way to know if you have a great villain. If you write a story about them getting the newspaper buying groceries, or just eating out for dinner, and it's interesting, you have a good villain. No one has ever written a story about the Joker and people go, I don't get it. I'm sleeping. Most readers who see the Joker understand what he is and find some sort of appeal with his personality and look. Making the mundane interesting is a barometer to see if you have a compelling villain because it puts your antagonist to the test. Unlike us writers, it's less biased. Write something mundane and give it to the reader as a beta test. The villain isn't the reader's baby, so they will be much more cutthroat and honest with what they found appealing or not. Number six, allow them success. Don't be afraid to let your villain win. It's okay to let them win. Now, does that mean kill everybody off and end the book? No, that's not what that means. What it means is allow them some sort of success as the story progresses, giving the reader heightened emotions. You are spiking the emotions of the audience. You are getting them invested in your story. They got skin in the game. They feel a tightness in their chest. They are wondering, how's the main character going to get out of this one? You are creating an investment based on that dire situation. Allowing the villain success is also demonstrating some level of competence. They are not the incompetent, bumbling fool you see in kids' cartoons. This villain could also work in children's stories, but you'd have to be very careful with the consequences of what that means when the villain wins. If you're not a fan of letting the villain win in some cases, then give them little victories. Build them up in some way that shows, take this antagonist seriously, reader. You're leading up to a crescendo in your story. So the anticipation of what's going to happen must escalate to that moment.
you are delaying gratification of resolution by maximizing the uncertainty of who will become the victor. If the villain never succeeds in one goal, are they even a threat? No, because people do not like unsuccessful people. People are drawn to success and they want to identify with it. This is why so many autobiographies of successful people exist. People naturally want to know, how did she or he do this? Nobody wants to know what Alex the 9 to 5 did at his job though. Number 7. Allow them failures. Like yin and yang, there must be balance. Just like the stories where the hero always wins, a story where the villain always wins is also boring. If you have a competent villain who has had a multitude of success, you must allow your villain some losses. It's okay to give them some L's. It's a great way to build tension and heighten the emotion of readers. Imagine, if you will, a villain who has been succeeding in the story thus far. Giving that villain a failure at an opportune moment could be the wild card needed for the heroes to win, to grab victory from the jaws of defeat. Your heroes will think, oh my god, there's a chance, there's a chance they can win, this is it. Now you have their attention. When you give your villain who has been succeeding in the story thus far some failures, you create a release of the indignation that has been building up, causing tension deep within. Satisfy your reader's craving to see justice come to the villain if the story suits it. This also makes your villain more human and more relatable. These are qualities you need in a villain as well. More on that later. Making the villain relatable invests the reader even more. People want to be invested in your story, so give them a reason to by allowing the villain to be more human. Let them have flaws. Maybe the flaws are what led to the villain's failure. Maybe the villain has a habit. Maybe he bites his fingernails. And he couldn't help doing that at the last minute before he had to do something. And that screwed up everything. And now he's in prison in a contraption of his own doing. Ah! Why'd I have to bite my nails, man? Oh my god! Not again! Might be something he says. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for his tick. Maybe there's a whole backstory that led to that moment. You see what I did there? I used the villain's failure to showcase a character flaw caused by something in their past. As a result, there's an opportunity for a fleshed out background on this guy without even going into too much details. A lot more could be said in a future story. Maybe it ties to their childhood and why they're a villain now. By just adding little details like that and peppering it around a villain's failure, you are creating a whole world of mystery and intrigue in your story. You are using the failure of this character as a vehicle to flesh out their identity, values, perspective, and history. Remember, you're creating a compelling villain, someone that feels real, 
someone that stays in the mines long after the adventure's over. Number eight, they don't have to be all powerful. In fact, I encourage you not to make them all powerful beings. Some of the greatest villains of all time are not powerful people, within the context of superpowers, I mean. Again, take the Joker, for example. He's a real threat in almost every Batman story, but he can be taken out with a single swift punch by the caped crusader himself. The Joker's mortality makes him relatable. What's relatable has appeal to mainstream audiences. The Joker also has a lot of charisma, which also attracts audiences. Speaking of charismatic villains, one of my favorite villains of all time is M. Bison, okay? I love M. Bison, all right? <laughs> Can you tell? I love him. M. Bison from the 1994 Street Fighter film directed by Stephen E. D'Souza and acted by the late, great Raul Julia, okay? Rest in peace, Raul Julia. Fantastic actor. In fact, I like this character so much, I'm probably going to get a painting, maybe like the one in the film. If you've seen the film, you'll see he got like a painting in the wall. It's, it's really funny. Now, you might be asking, why is he my favorite villain? Well, his ego is through the roof, but for the majority of the film, he has no superpowers. He's just a madman in a red cap with a silver skull and wings with an emblem on, a red suit and a cape. A cape! This guy even has a red bathrobe in his dictator theme. Even though this guy has an enormous ego, he's definitely human. He's definitely not all powerful. He's also very corny at times, but he embraces it. Every flaw he has, he embraces. Anyone who accepts and embraces themselves on that level is very appealing and in some way endearing. Number nine, give them hopes and dreams. You may be thinking villains shouldn't be having hopes or dreams. They're the bad guys. They're supposed to be representing everything depressing, hate, jealousy, rage, and, you know, evil. Wrong. Wrong. Everybody has hopes and dreams. People pretend they don't sometimes, but they do have it. Everybody has a dream of what they'd like to do in their life. Some sort of fantasy that they'd like to live that they have buried deep down in their heart. Maybe your villain is a despicable anonymous kidnapper who does it for ransom money, but he paints on the side and dreams of painting as a paid professional. Maybe he's doing the kidnappings to extort enough money for his own private gallery where he can showcase his work sometimes uh, somewhere mainstream and hopefully hit it big. Or maybe he wants to just showcase it in a museum and isn't in it for the money at all but for mere artistic validation. You see, this adds a new layer of dimension to the character. It complicates the story in a good way because it helps contextualize the crimes in a world that feels more real. Nothing should be done in a vacuum. Bad guys aren't bad because they are bad, but because of the actions they take that harms others. 
exploring the reasons behind terrible actions informs us about the villain's belief system. In order to really understand a character, we must learn their values, and that is what makes a character's hopes and dreams so important. Regardless of the role they play in a story, every character, especially the villain, should have hopes and dreams that are explored in your story. Remember, even the most evil people in human history had hopes and dreams. Number 10. Make the villain someone we love to hate. Just like how people love to root for the good guy, people love to boo the bad guy just as much. There's an innate psychological pleasure in the indignation that a villain we hate invokes. Take for example, heels, which are the wrestling villains of the WWE, formerly known as WWF, aka the World Wrestling Entertainment Company. Heels are incredibly popular with wrestling fans and have been popular since its inception of that genre, and they are popular for a reason. At some point, heels became the main draw of watching wrestling at the height of WWF's popularity in the 90s. People love to feel superiority over others, and people also love to feel righteous. Take the two together and you have moral superiority. The dopamine hit that drives people to boo the bad guy and in some cases obsess over the bad guy. Here's a quick example. Many years ago, I used to read Marvel comics on a weekly basis. I would only follow books that I enjoyed so that my list was pretty small, but in 2009, that all changed when a villain named Norman Osborn had staged a coup to deplatform Tony Stark as head of security during an event called Secret Invasion. At the end of that comic event, Tony Stark was on the run from the authorities, and Norman Osborn was placed in his substitute for head of U.S. security by Marvel Universe's version of President Obama. That's awkward. The agency known as S.H.I.E.L.D. at that moment was no more. In its place would be the new, shady, agency Hammer. Norman Osborn became head of Hammer and everything changed. All of a sudden, good was bad, bad was good. Norman Osborn could do no wrong in the eyes of the American public. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, he was terrorizing the superhero community. He was turning a blind eye to crime. He was reporting false information to the public. He had great PR while still negatively impacting lives on such a wide scale that it was impossible to ignore. No book was spared. Osborne was here and he wanted you to know it. He wanted you to feel his presence and in the beginning I simply just disliked Osborne but by the end I hated hated his guts couldn't stand the guy awful human being the absolute worst does that visceral reaction feel familiar yeah I hated this guy like how people hate Trump this guy wasn't even a real person and I was feeling that way about him. You know what? 
They got me, though. They got my money. Marvel got me. They got every penny, okay? I was glued to every issue I could get. I even bought series I wasn't even interested in. How I got into reading Thunderbolts in the first place was because Osborn was on the cover shooting Nick Fury in the face at blank point range. The amount of indignation Osborn could generate from me was a, as a reader was through the roof. Remember, if you make a villain that people straight up love, you're not doing your job. Make people also love to hate him. Okay? And finally, finally, number 11. Carefully craft dynamics between villain and the cast. You should be doing two separate things at this point. Make the dialogue between the villain and supporting characters interesting, and make the dialogue between the villain and the protagonist stand out in the story. Here's a dichotomy between the two types and what you should be considering. The secondary and tertiary characters have a flavorful encounter with the antagonist. This is where a lot of humor could be used, where a lot of world building occurs, where a lot of future plans and plots could be set up. You have a lot of room here to humanize the antagonist and make the villain seem normal and relatable. Meanwhile, the protagonist and the villain have a more volatile or serious impact encounter, right? This is where you can spike the emotions of readers. Stakes are raised here. Consequences occur here. Characters die here. The plot moves forward here. Remember, whenever you have the protagonist and villain encounter one another, unless the villain is the jokey, incompetent type, you must establish some sort of fear in the reader. The stakes must exist and must be ever present in the encounter or the reader interest will wane. This is not to say that humor cannot exist between the villain and the hero, but that rivalry must be present and the tension must be strong. Give their interaction the purple cow treatment. What's the purple cow treatment you ask? Well, let's say you are looking at a field of brown cows and somewhere in the middle is a purple cow. What do you notice right away first? The purple cow, right? Do you notice any one particular brown cow? Highly unlikely. Your eyes naturally go to the purple cow. So just like that scenario, make your interactions between your villain and your hero that purple cow moment. If you follow these 11 rules, you will create a villain that steals the show. It's going to be a character that basically writes itself. The goal here is to create a villain that you can plop down in almost any other universe and you already have a good idea of how they'll behave in the new setting. And that's it for this podcast. Man, that was a long one. I hope you enjoyed this re-upload of the original Zillion podcast number 15 took my time to create something really rich in value this time. If you are on YouTube and enjoyed this, hit the like button, subscribe, thank you kindly. 
If you're listening to this via iTunes, please give this podcast a five-star review. Thank you as well. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, please give this podcast a like and a follow the podcast there. That really helps out this podcast. If you're listening to this on any other platform like Google Podcasts and TuneIn, please subscribe. Thank you again. And of course, please share it, especially if your friends and colleagues enjoy writing tutorials or are writers themselves. Thank you and happy writing. Happy writing.